Hi guys, welcome to the second episode of Snippets. I'm Dr. Meenakshi Mahesh and I'm doing my DNB in Shankar Nitralia, Chennai. The COVID pandemic and the ophthalmologist is our topic for this session. I would like to thank Dr. Partho Pratindatta Majumdar and Dr. Kavita Kalaiwani for taking time out and helping me with this. I hope it's interesting and useful to all of you. Firstly, what is COVID-19 and how similar or different is it to the previous pandemics that we have seen? Coronaviruses are the largest known RNA viruses. They are known to affect a wide range of birds and mammals. They usually cause self-limiting upper respiratory tract infections. However, in instances of immunocompromise or underlying cardiopulmonary disease, they can cause pneumonia or bronchitis. On the other hand, the SARS virus was known to cause life-threatening respiratory failure and had a higher mortality rate as compared to COVID-19. SARS virus was also proved to be transmitted via tears and the ocular surface, but there has been no evidence of any ocular manifestations of the same. Next, coming to the routes of spread and presentations. The known routes of spread are through droplets or aerosols, contact and fomites. The fecal-oral route has not been established, but there is a strong possibility of spread through the tears from the conjunctival sac. Many patients are asymptomatic, and among the symptomatic ones, the most common presentation is a fever and cough. The lesser-known presentations are sore throat, diarrhea, nausea, respiratory failure, shock and other organ failures. The strong likelihood of ophthalmic spread stems from the presence of angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 or ACE2 receptors in the conjunctiva, cornea, retina, choroid and retinal pigment epithelium. The virus binds to the ACE2 receptors and the spike protein of the virus helps in invasion into the tissue. There is some evidence for the involvement of peptidase or DPP4 molecule in the transmission. The ophthalmic spread could be direct via aerosols as the eye is in open microenvironment. It could be through the nasolacrimal duct and may even be through hematological spread from the lacrimal gland. Next, the ophthalmic signs and what we should look out for. In humans, ophthalmic complaints were confined to a viral conjunctivitis-like picture and one case of keratoconjunctivitis has been reported. Some patients had follicles, a drop in visual acuity during the episode of conjunctivitis and some even presented with an increased IOP. Overall, the posterior segment remained normal. Some patients also presented with preauricular lymph node tenderness. In a few rare cases, conjunctivitis was noted as the first symptom before the presentation of respiratory symptoms. Animal models though have shown conjunctivitis, anterior uveitis, retinitis and optic neuritis. COVID positive patients with ocular manifestations had increased white blood cell count, neutrophilia, high C-reactive protein, lactate dehydrogenase and procalcitonin levels. It may also be prudent to recognize that coronaviruses can develop in vivo mutations which alter the manifestations of the disease quite drastically. Coming to the testing methods, the testing is done by conjunctival swab technique and by reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction analysis or RT-PCR analysis. It is compared with the nasopharyngeal swab positivity. Some have even inoculated the sample in vero cell lines to check for cytopathic effects. 
the viral RNA was found in the swab around 13 days from the start of illness and was present for at least 5 days after that. It is important to note that not everyone who presented with conjunctivitis were RT-PCR positive for the virus in the conjunctival swab and vice versa. This could be due to the delay in sample collection, not collecting enough number of samples or a very small quantity of sample with a small viral load. Hence, conjunctival swab alone may not be helpful in identifying the disease in early stages. Now, let us talk about personal protection and the importance of protecting the eyes always. Primary protection is for those who are not in direct contact with patients. They need to wear a cap, surgical mask and working clothes with or without a gown. Secondary protection is for those who are in direct contact with patients who need to wear a cap, surgical mask or an N95 mask, working clothes with gown, protective goggles or face shield and disposable gloves. Tertiary protection is for those who come in contact with blood and body fluids including anesthesiologists who need to wear a cap, N95 mask, protective clothing with gown, protective goggles, face shield and two pairs of disposable gloves. Many reports showed that the healthcare workers who failed to cover their eyes with goggles or a face shield had symptoms like conjunctival congestion, epiphora, foreign body sensation and eventually tested positive for COVID. Hence, this emphasizes the importance of covering the eyes completely, which not only prevents aerosol entry, but also avoids frequent touching of the eyes with infected hands. Let us talk about the methods to contain the transmission. Firstly, outside the hospital. Triaging of patients depending on severity, green for patients that can be deferred, amber for patients whose condition can be handled through a phone or video review, and red for sight or life-threatening conditions which require a face-to-face -face visit. The red group conditions often require prompt clinical or surgical management that must be performed in order to ensure best possible outcome. Other methods include using telemedicine and online platforms for history taking, delivery of medications, etc. Educating the patients and staff is an important part of containing the transmission. Instructions regarding hand hygiene, avoiding fomites and general health advice should be periodically given to the staff and patients. Temperature check for staff on a daily basis and immediate reporting in case of any symptoms is also beneficial. Online forums and videos in waiting halls regarding mask wearing techniques can be taken up to educate patients about the condition and correct practices. Telephonic follow-up has also gained importance during these times. Separation of staff into COVID team and non-COVID team, especially people who may be immunocompromised or come in contact with them, helps to cut down the transmission rates. Safety measures in the hospital include reducing accessible gateways, funneling patients and setting up temperature checkpoints. A thorough history, including onset of symptoms, contact history, travel history and ensuring that all patients wear masks is of primordial importance. Social distancing and maintaining at least 1.5 meter distance between patients and giving appointments with a 45 minute time interval between two patients is also helpful. The following are methods that can be beneficial in clinics, wards and operation theatres. Checking visual acuity from the lowest expected line minimizes patients' time in the clinic. Special designated testing areas for suspected patients need to be set up. Avoid centralized air conditioning. 
avoid non-contact procedures that generate aerosols like tonometry. The air puff generates aerosols. Well sanitized contact tonometry is better. The indirect ophthalmoscope for viewing the fundus is preferred over using the slit lamp for the same. Keep the examination to the point and use special testing modalities more. Environmental sanitation is of primordial importance. This is sanitation of the slit lamp, the Goldman apneurysm tonometer head, lenses, indirect ophthalmoscope, etc. This is essential as COVID is known to survive on plastic for 16 hours. It survives for about 13 hours on steel and about 9 hours on cardboard. Alternate treatment modalities can be taken up to reduce the number of follow-up visits. Reduce the number of elective surgeries, a complete evaluation pre-op, including blood workup, CT scans, C-reactive protein and serum amyloid A levels etc. needs to be done thoroughly before taking the patient up for surgery. Coming to the challenges and the future, the challenges that we face are insufficient screening, lack of evidence for actual ocular spread of the disease and inadequate samples to perform the array of tests. The presence of high number of asymptomatic patients is another disadvantage. The correct timing of conjunctival swab collection is important and multiple swabs should be taken to note the declining pattern in the tests. After ruling out the common causes of conjunctivitis, a strong suspicion of COVID should be considered. Overall, we need to develop a team approach with other units in the hospital to manage a patient and the disease. There is no definite disease pattern noted in children. Some say that they are less susceptible to the disease. This is another aspect which is not completely understood. Problems like refractive errors in children and eye strain etc. due to the constant use of e-learning portals and virtual classes are also of concern to ophthalmologists. Lastly, the idea of a new normal. This pandemic has reiterated to us the importance of a new normal that encompasses a few concepts that make us better prepared in anticipation of such future threats. From converting convention centers into intensive care units to starting research towards new diagnostics and antivirals, the assumptions of how long a process takes are slowly dissolving thanks to the pandemic. The new normal should also support standardized clinical processes rather than a clinical autonomy, focus on virtual care and ensure adequate protection for the safety of healthcare workers. This brings us to the end of this episode. We will be back next week with another interesting topic, decision-making in pediatric cataract management. Until then, please stay safe, healthy and happy. Thank you so much for your patient listening. 